Here on the Sports is a Job podcast, we have a treat for you. Not only is this the first episode that Olivia and I are hosting together, but more importantly, we have an amazing guest. The guest today is Scott Peace. Currently, he is the Assistant Athletic Director of Marketing and Fan Engagement at University of Evansville. Scott once considered himself a shy kid, but now here he is in a job where he has to get people to games, sells tickets, run marketing campaigns, and help build the brand of Evansville Athletics. His journey began as an intern at Louisville, and now he's a major part of why Evansville has been able to average a 5,294 fans per game at Evansville men's basketball games during the 2018-2019 season. That was a 40% increase from 2017 to 2018. It's the highest total in the past 10 years. In this episode, he shares his insight into how that was accomplished. He shares his story and journey so you may create your own. Let's get to the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sports as a Job podcast, Journey of the Working Sports Professional. This is your host, Colby Castillo. And for the first time, I actually have a co-host with me today. So I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. My name is Olivia Patin. And since this is my first time co-hosting, just a little bit about myself. I joined Kobe a couple episodes back during the first season to talk about my journey in sports. I'm currently a student sport contact for the University of Minnesota. I mainly work with the women's tennis team, so that's my main sport, but I also assist other sports when assistance is needed. Uh, Kobe and I went to school together at the University of Minnesota Crookston. I played college soccer and he played college football. And we just got in touch over playing sports and going to school together. So I'm really excited to be joining Kobe from now on. Appreciate, you know, Olivia provides a different perspective and she's on her own journey um, working in the sports industry. She's going in the sports information route. I'm more of the event management. So having two different perspectives are always great. And I'd like to introduce our special guest today on the, on the episode. So welcome, Scott Peace, to the Sports is Job podcast. How are we doing today? I am doing great. And I just uh, appreciate you guys having me on today. Yeah. If you could explain to everybody um, your current position and what exactly it is you do. Of course. Yeah. So I am the assistant athletic director for marketing and fan engagement here at the University of Evansville, which is in the southwest corner um, of Indiana here in Evansville, Indiana. I'm sure we'll dive into this a little bit later, but I actually came to Evansville uh, to run the ticket office originally almost six years ago now. Um, and just it kind of worked out almost two years ago now that I was able to slide into more of a marketing role, which has really been more of my passion anyway. Mm-hmm. So I was I was very fortunate to be able to do that. We we're definitely on the smaller scale in terms of Division One athletics. We actually only have just about over two thousand students that go here, so we're one of the smallest Division One schools. So it's definitely um, a multi-hat type of job where you kind of got to mix around and just do what needs to be done. But main uh, responsibilities, based obviously marketing our our programs here, work a lot on the event management side as well. I'm the licensing director for the university. I'm our liaison between uh, IMG Learfield and the university. And I am the men's and women's golf sports supervisor. So that's just kind of a little taste of, of what I do. And, and I'm really fortunate because I've had such a wide variety of experience mm-hmm. since I've been here. 
you definitely wear a lot of hats. So what I'd like to start off with is if you could tell us, you know, the aha moment of when you knew you wanted to work in sports and what it is you did to prepare yourself for a sports career while you were in college or even way before that. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky originally. And when you're in that city, you kind of bleed red and your Louisville <laughs> basketball is kind of your passion. So my dad's had season tickets since the eighties. Um, so really since I was probably one or two years old, I've been attending Louisville basketball games and that's just what I love. That's what I like to do. That was my passion. That was, uh, it was great too. It was kind of my dad and I's thing. So that was kind of a good bonding experience too. So with that, I played high or uh, basketball pretty much from five years old until through high school. In high school, it became pretty obvious that I wasn't going to play beyond that level. Um, that's just the way it was going to be. But I was so passionate about athletics and really the University of Louisville too, there in my hometown that I saw they had a sport administration major. To be honest, I didn't really know what that meant going mm-hmm. into it. I just knew it was the school I wanted and something I liked. So I kind of dove into it. And I'll tell you, I, I kind of fell in love with it right away from the you know, the sport administration 101 classes all the way through. It's just, and even still today, it's just, it's just what I love to do. And I'm fortunate to get to do it in terms of where I'm at now and how I got there. um, They really hammered home early on freshman year that if you were going to separate yourself from others, you really needed to, to get as wide a variety of experience through volunteer opportunities, internships, things like that, and get as many of those opportunities as you could in college. So when you graduate, you kind of stood out. So I was a little bit all over the place in terms of my volunteer experiences. My first one was was kind of marketing and in-game presentation, things like that, mm-hmm. with our women's basketball program at Louisville. And I kind of coincided with the first year at the new arena. So that was a really cool experience going behind the scenes, things like that. So I was the, the little freshman out there throwing t-shirts <laughs> to the crowd and things like that. So that was the first taste of the behind the scenes stuff that I really got. And again, that's just, I fell in love with it right away and knew that's what I wanted to do. Throughout college, I had a a summer internship with the soccer program, the men's soccer Mm -hmm. program, the year after they played for the national championship game and lost to Akron. Soccer was just kind of becoming popular in the town and it's, it's continued to grow since I've left the success that they've had. And they have even a pro team there now that's building a new, a new stadium. And then the last full year, I uh, worked in the ticket office and that's kind of how I ended up going the ticket office route. Despite being a marketing major, that's just kind of where I landed and (laughs) definitely liked it and was grateful for that experience. We did things like seat relocations for season ticket holders. The team had made the sugar bowl that year. So we took all those ticket requests, which was a pretty wild experience and, and just things like that. So I just made sure that I was always doing something. I think that's what you really need to do if you're, if you're an undergrad looking to separate yourself when you get out. Mm-hmm. I definitely see where you're coming from when you talk about going to a school you grew up loving. Like for for you is Louisville. For me, it's the U of M. So when I when my parents got married, like I was born into going to go for games growing up. I think my grandpa has had season tickets to go for hockey since probably the 80s, and we've had season football tickets my whole life. So going from the Metrodome and now being TCF Bank Stadium, like it was a really cool transition and now like growing up as a fan and being able to work run and help run those events from like a communications perspective has been a dream come true so I totally like relate to what you have been doing so I just that's pretty cool to see someone else do the same thing that I've been doing so what is your what is your advice Scott for someone who's just graduated college and going off into the sports industry 
I think the number one thing I would say um, is to not limit yourself and limit what you're willing to do when you get out. Uh, mm. And that could mean the job itself. It could mean the location of the job. It could be, you know, maybe you want to work in pro sports, but you end up taking a minor league job or you think you want to go division one, but then maybe you realize division two or three, you actually might get more experience because you're, you're a little more hands-on. So I just wouldn't limit yourself. And honestly, that's what I did coming out of undergrad about a week after graduation. I, uh, I kind of picked up, I had actually got married in college. Um, okay. We've now been happily married for seven years. So a lot of people think I was crazy for getting married in college, but wouldn't have traded that for anything. So we kind of picked up and moved down to Tampa, Florida, which was unlike really anything I had known because I had lived mm-hmm. in the same town, same house on the same street, my whole <laughs> life type of thing. And that year down there was probably the best experience I've gotten just getting out of my comfort zone. At the time I was working for IMG Learfield Ticket Solutions at the at the University of South Florida property. And really what that meant is that I was making 80 phone calls a day and five meetings a week and basically smiling and dialing all day, every yeah, day trying yeah. to sell season tickets, which I did that for, for 13 months. And while the job itself maybe wasn't the most glamorous, glamorous or my favorite thing to do. That year of experience, I wouldn't trade for anything because it, it got me, you know, got my foot in the door. It um, just to be able to feel comfortable on those sales pitches, things mm-hmm. like that, really instill confidence in me. And so, if you would have told me when I was ten or twelve years old that I'd be doing that, I used to be the most shy person you ever met. I wouldn't believe you, but just getting out of my comfort zone, moving to another state, doing a job that maybe was a little bit again out of my comfort zone. I wouldn't have traded that for anything. So my next question for you is along your journey, was there anyone that really had a big impact on you? Does anyone stand out? When you- yeah, I would, I would say a couple different people and for different reasons. So I mentioned I was in the ticket office when I was in college. The guy that had hired me as a student worker, his name was Jonathan Butler. And he really took me under his wing. Again, I mean, being a college student, didn't know exactly what it was going to mean to go into this field. He kind of talked me through that. He got me some interviews even mm. um, as I was wrapping up my time there. So being in someone, being in kind of his shoes now, I know how busy people in these roles can be. And the fact that he was able to take time and really teach me, that, that's kind of stuck with me a lot. When I moved down to Florida, my boss at the time, her name was Courtney Simons. And the biggest thing with her is she told me after the fact that there was over a hundred applicants for the job and that it was more, it was kind of a gut feeling thing about me that kind of was got her to the point where I was down there. And the fact that she was willing to take a chance on me has really meant a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And then during my time in Evansville, the last almost six years, uh, Mark Spencer's our athletic director and he's absolutely fantastic and has been kind of my mentor ever since I've been here. Everywhere you've gone, you've, you've seen you taking away something from somebody. It mm-hmm. seems like. Right talked about you did 80 phone calls a day so i'm sure you got some interesting what's an interesting story interaction with one of those cold calls that you got oh man i mean you you saw it all because some of the lists we were getting were colder than cold i'll tell you Uh that Uh i'll tell you one that was that always stuck with us and we always kind of joked about so the year i was there they happened to be really bad they were i think two and ten it was at the time, Willie Taggart's first season. So it was a complete rebuild. And we knew mm-hmm. that going in, but people's expectations are always high, as you know. And he was saying how serious this thing is that we got to turn it around. And he would call in about once every few weeks. So you never knew what you were going to get on the other side of 
of the phone that's for sure so you had your guys normal normals who would call in and do that kind of things with you oh guys yeah and those different oh, stats yeah. and whatnot you gotta sit aside 20 minutes to just let them let them vent and and take it all in but mm-hmm. at the same time we realized the people that are willing to take 20 minutes out of their day to call and talk about it at the same time are your most passionate fans so you kind of just gotta let them do their thing and at the end of the day if you're two and ten or own twelve or whatever it may be those are the ones that are still going to be in the stands so mm-hmm. you got to appreciate it in that aspect as well you know you talked about you were a shy kid um way before and you know telling that shy kid you'd probably work in marketing or ticket sales you probably wouldn't have believed it so how did you break that barrier how did you break break out the shell and come out not being shy no more yeah i mean like you said marketing ticketing wouldn't have guessed that certainly wouldn't have volunteered to be on a podcast either that's something that <laughs> I would have never done I think the biggest thing is that you know I consciously realized that if I'm gonna go where I want to be you got to break out of that shell and I treat opportunities like this you guys having me on here it's just another way to kind of get out of my comfort zone and, and keep improving so I think it's just that mindset of you you realize who you are but realize who you want to be and uh, you just got to be willing to, to get out of the comfort zone Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I definitely. definitely agree with you and I relate with you on that like going into new experiences and different internships it has really opened up my eyes to like the sports world and how many like jobs there really are and I, I completely agree with you because I yeah. thought I was pretty shy and you know going into so many different things like it's really cool to kind of see yourself like change as a person and mm-hmm. become more confident in yourself so yeah, I think that's that's the thing is once you do get out of your comfort zone, you have these new experiences, you realize after the fact that, okay, one, that wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. And two, you're not as, uh, you know, afraid to do it the next time. So, It's scary. It's scary at first. I think anything we do at, at the first time around, I'm riding a bike, like the first time around, it's always scary. So let's let's come back to, to your whole journey and let's get fast forward a little bit. How did you end up getting to University of Evansville? with your first position and then working your way up to your current position today? So, yeah, I, uh, I mentioned out of college, I was down in Florida and uh, had a great experience there, but we knew that we wanted to start a family actually is kind of the, the origin of all this. And we didn't want to do that 14 hours away from home. So we kind of started just seeing what was out there a little bit closer. Evansville is only two hours from home for me. So it's a simple, simple drive whenever we want to do that. So I had actually applied for a job at Louisville didn't get it and it was pretty pretty uh torn up about that i guess but someone that was there at louisville actually had my ticketing job that i got at evansville like a decade before and she had reached out kind of separately and was like hey i know you didn't get this job but this is something that you should really think about i know what a great experience it was for me and it got me to this point so check it out so i I ended up applying for that ended up getting it and then um kind of the rest is history on that Mm-hmm. So, well, how was it? How was it when you first got there? I mean, you had to adapt um, to a new position, new home, um, working with entire new athletic department and AD. So, what was that experience like for you? I tell you what, it was a big uh, learning experience for sure. USF's one of the biggest schools in the country mm-hmm. from an enrollment standpoint. I think they're they hover around fifty thousand, something like that. Well, Evansville has two thousand students, so that was a big change. Another thing, I was one of think six or eight account executives down in Florida just doing ticket sales well as director of ticketing which was a job that I accepted here I was the account executive I was ticket operations sales service 
basically everything you can, and then event management, everything on top of that. So going from one incredibly <clears throat> specialized thing over to all of a sudden I'm overseeing people, I'm overseeing students, I'm working all these events. It was a big change. I'm not going to lie, but it was nice to, to kind of have my hand in a lot more things. Cause I was definitely a small fish in a big pond in Florida and didn't, I guess didn't really have impact that I would like, you know, not that my ideas weren't heard or things like that. I, I had a good experience down there, but in Evansville being one of typically around 10 or so in our entire external staff, everything each one of us does makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So with your position at Evansville, is there, are there any positions that you kind of have as a goal in your mind? Like not necessarily just at Evansville, but would you ever want to end up back at Louisville one day or what is like, I guess your dream position? Yeah, I mean, ultimate dream, dream position would probably be athletic director at University of Louisville. When I very first started, I used to be very hung up on the fact that if I never made it back there, I would kind of consider my career a failure, I guess, in a way. But I've very much uh, changed my mindset on that. If I, if I don't end up there, that's perfectly fine. We've fallen in love with this community, the campus, and everything about it. We have a, um, a four-year-old now that we've, we've raised here in Evansville. So really, this has become kind of home for us. So whether I spend the rest of my career at Evansville or elsewhere, or whatever ends up happening, I think I would, I would still be happy. In terms of next steps and more realistic goals, I think the next thing for me that I want to do is oversee an entire external department, whether that's here at Evansville or maybe at another school. But that's kind of where I want to be next is overseeing not just the marketing and licensing and some of the stuff that I do now, but um, kind of the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And I think you talked about you were at USF, which is a way bigger school than you're at now. And one of the interesting things that a lot of people say out there is that some of the concepts they do as far as marketing and ticketing at big schools can't work at small schools, right? There has to be some Mm -hmm. way of fixing it, um, tailoring it to the school that you're going to in the community. So what were things that big concepts that they were using at big schools that you helped tailor to use there at the University of Evansville? You know, it's funny. I've talked a lot about, you know, the student enrollment differences and campus and stuff like that. I would have to look, but typically we actually usually outdraw USF in terms of men's basketball attendance. We don't have football at Evansville. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's not necessarily apples to apples, but I think the big reason for that, Tampa, uh, in Tampa, there's just so many things to do, whether it's baseball, football, the beach, restaurants, things like that. And USF, I think it's lost in that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Here in Evansville, we are, you know, we are the premier live event, I would say, not even just an athletic event in town. And people, our fans are incredibly loyal. So I would say our fan bases are a lot different. And I would honestly say that they're a little more loyal and a little more passionate here. Mm-hmm. So while the things we have to adjust is more like budget and things like that. So you see, you see a t-shirt on 10,000 seats in an arena at other places. We're just not going to be able to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Some of the technology, whether it's, you know, the pregame light shows that you see now with some of those applications and things like that, just we're not quite there yet. But in terms of actually drawing fans, we, we're, we're typically right around that 90 or 100 ranking in Division One out of whatever it is, 353 or whatever now. So we definitely mm-hmm. hold our own, and we uh, kind of wear that as a badge of honor that we're able to compete with some of these schools with a fraction of the resources. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so this is my second ever podcast appearance. My first was with a company called ZipWhip. Basically, in a nutshell, what they do is text enable your office phone 
Mm-hmm. So basically in, in our setting, we are able to make our ticket office, you know, our 1-800 type number textable. So whether you have an issue, an event, you have a quick question, we do a lot of flash sales and things like that. that are only available during text we, via text. We did those Black Friday, Cyber Monday, things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the major things. And it seems like kind of a small thing, but we have found about a hundred different uses. It feels like for that application and, I think that's why I was on the podcast because we we were kind of an early adopter on that from a college sense. And we've just really several different ways to use that. So that's one that stands out. The reason for the the big in, increase in tickets that you had mentioned, we had gotten a new coach people were really excited about. But not just that, I think we really, as an external staff, did a really nice job of capitalizing on that. We had done a um, what we called our Century Club season tickets, which was basically our lower level end zone that in previous years had been mostly empty. We said, okay, you can get a hundred dollars season tickets in that area, but you have to buy at least four. And the reason for the hundred dollars, our hundredth year of college basketball. So it kind of made sense from that perspective. And the fact that people had to buy four, I mean, we just, I mean, every day there's four, you can see how that could add up four, eight, 12. And it, and it, it just blew up. And we actually won an award from our conference. We were recognized with the best new marketing idea with that campaign we did uh, for the Century Club. So, I mean, it was just crazy to be a part of that. And I mean, the press conference that we did introducing the coach, we sold like 200 season tickets just for people that trickled in for the press conference. It ended up having like a thousand people in it. So I just think every step along the way, we've been able to, if you give us even just a little ounce of momentum we were able to capitalize on that and we're really proud of that so i guess with your your increase of season ticket sales did you like the following year did you see a lot of people like keep those season tickets thanks to your marketing idea that you came up with yeah so we um we had actually set a goal of i think it was only like 60 percent um that we wanted to hold on to 60 percent of those century club seats and the reason why it's so low is that we did increase the price a pretty decent amount. Uh, it was made clear up front that the Century Club was a one-year offer for the 100th year and that this was going to be the price in year two. And we also no longer required you to have four as part of that. Mm-hmm. So we were able to, I think we kept like 75% of those seats, which wow. again, exceeded exceeded what we wanted. Um, and there was a lot of kind of high hopes for the season as well. So people were really excited. So I think that helped as well. But yeah, we uh, were able to keep most of those. We've had a uh, a difficult season, a really up and down season for a number of different reasons, but we're still near what we averaged last year. We could still t- potentially pass what we did last year, which would be really nice. So we'll see how it shakes out. But yeah, we were able to keep most of those. Yeah. Yeah. And you've gone, you went from big, um, a big school to a smaller school and Olivia went from a really small school to a bigger school. So <laughs> what that kind of transition was for her. It was, well, let me tell you, people in Kirkson are a lot nicer than people in Dinky Town. <laughs> but no, I I grew up in a small town, um, Wadena, Minnesota, but I moved to the cities with my mom and my stepdad when I was, I want to say four. So I'm only like 20 minutes outside of Minneapolis, so I've grown up going down there. So I mean, I knew what to expect, but transitioning from like a big city to a town of 8,000 people was, that was a big adjustment on its own. So I finally, I would say I definitely got comfortable with Kirkson and I got to know everyone on campus probably by my freshman year, mid-freshman <laughs> year. So it's like 
going from a place where you literally know everyone on campus and you say hi to them and you can stop and talk and to all the professors and the, now I'm here at the U of M, like I love it, but like, you know, walking to Kaufman to do homework or, you know, going to get a coffee in Dinky Town, like people are definitely like keep their own and don't talk to you. And, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, it's a really cool thing to like, be able to work in the in the facilities I get to work in and you know going from a division two school to a division one power five conference school like it was like mind-blowing to me like how many different resources there are that they have for the athletes and the different departments and like how many people it takes to run like mm -hmm. how many people it took to run college game day when it came it was everyone it was mm -hmm. like an all hands on deck thing and it was a really cool thing to see that production and like it was just I, I have no words to express but yeah no I'm really happy I made the move but I do miss the small town experience and like you know Crookston has has made such a big like impact on my life just being in a small town and like getting to know the people in the town and getting like making really great friends there and something I'll never forget and I always like Whenever I go to Crookston, I always like ask Sean, who's the sports information director, like, "Hey, can I do basketball stats?" Or, "Hey, can mm -hmm. I can I do something?" Because, you know, one of my like my two favorite memories working for Crookston is sitting on press row basketball and inputting stats, and sitting up in the baseball press box inputting mm -hmm. stats, and like, like I'll never get that back. And like mm -hmm. when I can come back and do it, it's just it makes me remind myself like I came. I this is where I started from, and I'm so grateful. Mm -hmm. all the experiences I've had. So what's your, uh, Scott, what's your favorite student um, when you're a student worker? What was your favorite moment, if you can think of anything? Oh, I'd say the number one, and it's ironically, was the first game I ever worked as a student worker. Mm -hmm. So like I said, they opened a brand new arena. I mean, it's a 23,000 seat brand new downtown arena, all the bells and whistles, the KFC <laughs> home center is awesome. So the first ever basketball game in there was actually a women's game. And I mentioned I'd, I had worked with the women's mm -hmm. team that year. They played, I think, Tennessee. And I don't know if it was a sellout, but they easily had at least 18,000, 20,000 people there. They had raised Angel McCautry's jersey into the rafters. And people were just going wild over this new arena and things like that. So just to be, you know, in the tunnel, on the court, mm -hmm. just being a, a part of that in this brand new building, that was, that was something I'll never forget. Yeah, for sure. Did you get to shoot the uh, the shirt launcher at all, or were you throwing it? <laughs> no, no. As a freshman, no, they wouldn't <laughs> give me that. No, they didn't give that uh, to you yet. We were so we were the co the Kroger crew is what was our name. We had to wear yellow <laughs> t shirts with the Kroger logo on it. Uh, no, I was a uh, throwing by hand for sure as a freshman. Yeah, yeah. I remember oh, when yeah. I was a student worker, our assistant athletic director of event management, Gary Warren. He was kind of this older guy and he ended up retiring um before i forgot I graduated. about that guy uh -huh. oh he would sit in his he would sit in his office upstairs um and he would watch like hockey games because he's a huge hockey fan and yeah. he'd be like he'd hand you the keys and be like you run the show now go 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 unlock the doors or or whatever it is and it was just like one of those things i was like dude what's going on and my first day of work he's like i'll show you what to do i'll show you what keys are for what door and you got it now and i was um <laughs> lost i mean luckily there was a bunch of other people working but then i know both of you can probably relate to this with marketing and sports information um, a lot of your ideas are actually implemented um as far as with the event management side you know a lot of things are behind the scenes with um 
but you guys are the ones that get the fallback and the criticism for, you know, your marketing ideas or your social media posts that doesn't maybe work out. And I noticed that, you know, it's a tough world out there. I mean, Twitter, Instagram, people are ruthless. People like to comment and judge every move that you make, whether it's a marketing campaign or social media post. So how do you guys deal with that from the personal standpoint and how do you react to that professionally as well? Um, Do you want to go first on that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, since women's tennis is just, is kind of a smaller sport at the school. I don't really have a ton to relate to that, but I know one program that has kind of struggled the past couple of years is the men's hockey program for the university of Minnesota. So I don't know, I can't remember the year, but they transitioned from the WCHA to the big 10. And, you know, like if you know, go for hockey, like all of those fans, like they have been, they've grown up going to the games and they know like they're die hard, die hard hockey fans. And Mm -hmm. if you ever want to go see like some crazy reactions, you should scroll back to when the unit, like on Facebook or Twitter to when Minnesota played North Dakota and just see the response. Like that is like that rivalry has gone back since probably like the fifties, sixties. I don't know how long, but very long time. So people who have grown up watching that series and like the Gophers got swept because I believe North Dakota right now, they're ranked number one in the nation in men's NCAA ice hockey. And everyone like, it was a really hard game to be at just because there were more Sioux fans there than there were mm-hmm. fans there. And, you know, I give a lot of credit to the SID Brian and our social media director, Aaron, because like they worked so hard to like get as many fans there. And the main, like the, like, the soul of the heart of like getting people there is to like get back into their old ways and to get the the fans who've been going there forever. And, you know, it's a lot like, again, like you can't use winning as a marketing mm-hmm. tool, but, you know, they've come up with a lot of great ideas to get people to come to the games. And, and this coming weekend is their first weekend home. And I believe that they had a weekend sweep last weekend and they swept, I, be, I don't remember, I, Ohio State maybe at home, mm-hmm. but, you know, that's going to draw a lot of more people in and they've got some great ticketing deals that they've come up with. Like, I know this past year, Mary Jesus recently started selling alcohol, which Mm-hmm. has come, brought in more students and like fans as well so that's been a good idea that they've come up with and you know it really challenges them and I give them a lot of credit because they have definitely like improved like ticket sales the past couple of years after they left the WCHA. Yeah and, and kind of uh, on my perspective I think you're exactly right a lot of the ideas that you you put out there in the post and things like that they are very public that's kind of the nature of what they are and so people maybe don't always think rationally when they're a diehard fan of yours and they may not hesitate to let you know that either. So I don't know. I think it's a fine line between valuable feedback um, because it is, I mean, if what you're doing isn't resonating with your fan base, then you want to know that. But at the same time, like if they're going to be malicious about it and things like that, it's not helpful to, you know, get on and read your team's message boards. where all. And you can never control when a team wins and Mm -hmm. always like, I know everyone in the office, like, especially Brian and Aaron, they, like, everyone tells them, like, don't look at the comments, don't look at anything, and they never do. But. <laughs> comments after a loss is always a, a dangerous place to be, for oh, sure. Yeah. But I have, a, I have kind of a funny story I'll share real quick about, about things like this. So kind of our recent claim to fame at Evansville is that we beat Kentucky this year mm-hmm. um, at Rupp Arena when they were number one. So I was, I was fortunate enough to get to go, and we, it was just an incredible experience and was an absolute whirlwind for the next – several days and almost weeks after that but so our next home game well we played a, a, 
that was on a Tuesday. We played a non-division one team um, on a Thursday. It was a really quick turnaround. But then the next Monday we played SMU at home and it was, you know, a big deal. And so we, uh, we decided to have some fun with it. We uh, actually came up with what we call the coach Cal cam. So there was kind of a famous picture after we beat Kentucky. It was all over the internet where coach Calipari from, from UK had kind of his hands in his face and despaired <laughs> that they had lost to us. So we uh, basically did a split screen on the Jumbotron at our arena where on one side it was, was that picture. On the other side, the fans were supposed to recreate it um, and do the same thing. Again, it was lighthearted. We were having, having fun with it, things like that. Um, I'd say about 70% of people realized what it was. It was a lighthearted, fun thing. We were celebrating our victory. But the other 30% thought it was just the most disgraceful, disrespectful thing. I've somehow – we ended up losing two of our next three after this game. So it was mm. my fault that we put some kind of voodoo curse on the program because of the karma that I brought on Thanks. I mean, it was that serious, but I don't know. We had fun with it. I mean, it was a lot of national like sports reports picked it up and, and we're saying things about it. The worst part is that we ended up losing by one or two. So it was, you know, it was spun from the angle that, we made fun of them or whatever, and then they came back and SMU beat us. But I don't know. It was just one of those things where we all thought it was funny. It was just going to be a one-time thing that we just enjoyed. But then all of a sudden, 30% of our fan base thought it was just the worst thing in the world. So, I don't know. They were saying things like, you know, act like you've been there before. And then I'm kind of uh, thinking, well, last time I checked, we've never beaten number no. one Kentucky. <laughs> so, we haven't been there before. So, no. let's just enjoy it. But And then our, our coach at the time was a Kentucky grad. And he was oh. getting heat for it because they were saying it was his idea. And, of course, he had nothing to do with any of it. Didn't even know we were doing it type of thing. So, it was a mess. But I don't know. It, a lot of people were talking about it. I'm sitting here talking about it months later. So, I guess that it, it did what it meant to do. It, was, uh, it stirred up some conversation. <laughs> You got to enjoy it while you can. I mean, like you That's were saying, right. it's, it doesn't happen every every season or any any time for sure against Kentucky. Definitely, yeah. I'd, I'd yeah, celebrate it, was, it all it the time. Wild. I'd be celebrating yeah. it right now if I were you. I I'd, I'd still get teary eyed thinking about it. To be honest, <laughs> and that was in that was in November. What would your advice? Because I want to again, this is this podcast is all about for people who is trying to get into the sports industry to see that there's different options and different paths. So, what would your advice to yourself be? When you were about, let's say, 18 years old and deciding that you wanted to come into mm-hmm. the sports industry? I would basically tell myself that you got to get as much experience as possible. Never be above any job. You know, if you're mm-hmm. become a senior administrator and something down and dirty needs to get done, you got to take out the trash for an event. You see trash on the ground, pick it up, things like that. So basically just to stay humble, work hard, get as much experience early on as possible, and just be open-minded for any kind of opportunity, whether it be a job or an opportunity to be on a podcast or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I did notice that on Twitter, you posted that you got two new books that you're reading. Um, and it seems like maybe yeah. you're, you're someone who likes to read. So any recommendations for anybody out there? For sure. Yeah. So I, I've been reading about 20 to 25 books a year for the last three years or so. Uh, my goal is to read 36 books this year. I'm already a little behind, but Still plenty of time to catch uh-huh, back up. Uh-huh. From a sports marketing sports marketing per- perspective, my favorite book ever is Ice to Eskimos, or Ice, Ice to the Eskimos by John Spolstra. And then there's a follow-up book called Marketing Outrageously that he wrote after that. Those two books, it's one of those things where you're reading it. Like, I think I read it a couple of years ago over like Christmas break or Thanksgiving break. And I'm sitting there, I just wanted to go into work and start implementing some of the ideas from this book. So 
that was really good. One of the books that was probably in that post that you're talking about was uh, Find Your Yellow Tux by Jesse mm -hmm. Cole. He's the owner of the Savannah Bananas. I have an incredible amount of respect for for him and the work that he does down there. And, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, making your games a spectacle and people not remember the score and the experience. I don't think anyone at any level does does it like the Savannah Bananas do. So maybe those three books would be a good starting point. But Ice to the Eskimos, probably favorite book from a, a sports marketing perspective. Ice to the Eskimos. Well, hopefully, hopefully the people that do read books out there, because I'm not someone who reads myself. I'm more of a <laughs> podcast person, as you can see. I like to listen to the people yeah. talking information, but that's my way of, of consuming information. All right. Well, again, Scott, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. You did this willingly, not knowing who I was or who she was or anything about <laughs> us. Um, again, you know, people I need to understand that networking is essential. Networking is important and that people are out there a lot nicer than you think. Again, Scott, I appreciate you coming on. And again, Olivia, as always, um, to all the listeners out there who joined us on today's episode, Again, I appreciate you the help that you got. And if you found value from this episode, what Scott was saying, what Olivia was saying, what I was saying, share it with somebody. Because again, we are all on our own journeys, but you are not alone.